We doing all right? If you got your Bibles with you, open up Proverbs 26. Got a few more chapters and we'll wrap up the book of Proverbs. So uh, as, we, uh, as we come to this section of Scripture tonight, again, I want to remind us that as we come to Proverbs, one of the ways that we want to look at and see um, the Proverbs laid out for us is as road signs, directions. What is it that, uh, you know, Jesus taught? Jesus said that there are two ways that, that a man can go. He can travel the road of life, or he can travel the road of destruction. And we want to be able to recognize those paths. We want to be able to recognize, what road am I on? So when I come to the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs is all about these comparisons between the wise man and the fool. The wise man who is following wisdom, personified throughout the book of Proverbs as Christ himself. Lady Wisdom, we we talked about that earlier. We'll see it again when we get to Proverbs 31. As we come to this, we understand or recognize that the New Testament tells us that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. So we come to him to make that connection with wisdom and understanding. So Proverbs gives us street signs, directions, tells us what road we're on so that we can address those issues in our life. Where am I? What am I doing? Am I making choices that take me on the path of destruction or am I walking the road of life? The key is when we recognize I'm on the wrong road, what are we supposed to do? Yeah, the Bible says repent, which is a, a word for changing our direction, right? If you and I are trying to get to twin, but we're on the road to Boise, it doesn't matter how, how sincere you are in your journey, you're not going to get there. You're not going to get where you want to be. So we want to pay attention to those road signs. So as we come to Proverbs 26, let's have eyes to see the things that the Lord is laying out for us. In, uh, in verse 1, we're just going to go ahead and take a look at Read the chapter together, and then we'll, we'll back up and take a look. Like snow in summer, or rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. Like a sparrow in its flitting, like a swallow in its flying, a curse that is causeless does not alight. A whip for the horse, and a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. Uh, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Whoever sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. Like a lame man's legs which hang useless is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like one who binds a stone in a sling is the one who gives honor to a fool. Like a thorn that goes up into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like an archer who wounds everyone uh, is one who hires a passing fool or a drunkard. And like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Now the sluggard says there is a lion in the road. There is a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, and it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Whoever meddles in a quarrel 
not his own, is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. And like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death, is a man who receives his neighbor and says, or deceives his neighbor and says, I am only joking. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Like the glaze covering an earthen vessel uh, are fervent lips with an evil heart. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. And when he speaks graciously, believe him not. For there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. For whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts its rolling. A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this evening, God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see. Lord, that you would open up the ears of our understanding, God. Open up our hearts to receive instruction, Lord, that we would not be as a fool. God, may we be able to receive your correction. Lord, may we see your rebuke. May we repent and turn and change our direction and live lives following you on the road of life. Lord, we ask your blessing as we come to your word now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, the first part of this, we're going to be looking at the three distinct sections. The first one is called the mirror of the fool. The mirror of the fool. First 12 verses, first 12 proverbs that we'll be taking a look at. The introduction to this section is verses 1 through 3. It says this, Like snow in summer or rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. The idea that there are things that are useless in the life of a fool, and there are things that can bring about correction in the life of a fool. This is the point of the introduction, prior to getting into the body of the, of the text on the mirror of the fool, and that is this, you can honor a fool, but it's not going to accomplish what you want. Honor is wasted, just like the snow in the summer. Snow in the summer is not going to have any effect, might cool you off a little bit. Uh, it's not going to be helpful, and, and there are chances it can be harmful. The same way with rain at harvest time. Having rain at harvest is not the proper time to have it, so it's not accomplishing what it would normally accomplish. The same way, the Bible says, look at an honor for a fool. Sometimes we think maybe if we honor them, something will change, they'll turn from it. But what the Bible is saying is that it has no place, and it can bring about harm. Now, it's going to tell us what to do. He gives us this example from creation, and then we look in uh, to this concept of a curse. Look at verse 2. Like a sparrow is flitting or a swallow is flying, a curse that is causeless does not alight. It doesn't, it doesn't accomplish the goal. It's another example of the same thing. Giving a, a, putting a curse on someone who's not deserving of a curse is like a bird that don't have anywhere to land. It keeps flop, flying around. It keeps flitting. It doesn't have a place to come down. That's the example of honor for a fool. To try to honor a fool. To try to bring honor. And one of the things that's interesting to me at least, 
in our world is pretty common practice. Nobody wants to give correction. Because as soon as you give correction, as soon as you give rebuke, you usually hear the phrase, why are you judging me? Which really is not what's going on, right? I'm not judging my child when I discipline him. I'm loving my child. That's what the Bible says. I love my child when I say, hey, this, this direction's bad. Is it, is it, it's not judgment when God tells us the road you're on is a road that leads to destruction. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. It's God saying, hey, this road doesn't go where you want to go. It's an opportunity for correction to come in. So honor is wasted on a fool. Where the energy ought to be put is what it says in verse 3. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. The idea is correction, rebuke. The Bible would tell us, Proverbs would tell us that faithful are the wounds of a friend, right? That a friend who cares enough about you to tell you, hey, this is, uh, this is probably a direction you don't want to be traveling. That's loving. Now, oftentimes, we don't like to hear it. How many of us don't like to hear it when somebody has uh, a rebuke to give? Yeah, nobody wants to admit it? <laughs> no, you know, nobody likes to hear a rebuke, but the difference between a wise man and a fool is what? A fool receives instruction. A fool hears and will say, yeah, this, this, may be, this may be the direction that the Lord would have me move. So, in our minds, when we're thinking about how do we walk this path that Christ is, is calling us to walk, it's willing to love someone enough to maybe have a conversation that's not going to be super comfortable. That the root of that conversation is not to... to uh, Push somebody else down to lift yourself up, but to lovingly say, have you considered this? And give opportunity for correction to be received. The Bible says if you can receive correction, you're walking the path of wisdom. That's a path of life, right? That's the narrow way of Christ. We want to we be willing to walk that way. So this is the introduction. Keep in mind, this is going to follow through this idea. Don't give honor to a fool. Give correction to a fool. Be willing to, to provide the rebuke. Now look at verse 4 and 5. They can be confusing. It says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So, seems like we just said the same thing wrong twice. Answer a fool, don't answer a fool. Which one is it that we're supposed to do? To be honest, this was... a section of scripture that I found to be rather difficult uh, for most of my adult life uh, until I kind of started to delve into something called presuppositional apologetics. Everybody may not appreciate that. You may not know what that is, but I'll explain it to you briefly. The idea is this. There is no neutral. Sometimes I think we make the mistake of answering a fool according to his folly. We answer a fool the same from the same ground that he's standing on. What is the, the thing that sets a fool apart from a wise man? A fool said in his heart what? There is no God. So oftentimes we talk to someone uh, that the Bible would call a fool who believes there is no God, and we come and we stand on their ground. We stand on that ground supposing neutrality. Okay, we'll start from a place where there is no God, and I'll show you 
evidence for God. And I think that's answering a fool according to his folly. There is a God, and I won't surrender him. Jesus said, you are either for me or... Did he teach us there was neutral? Did he say there's a neutral ground you can stand in where there's... No, if the, the person for whom I'm, I'm trying to share Christ has a worldview, I don't demand that he denies his worldview, and I'm not going to deny mine. So when I talk to a fool about the Lord, I begin with and end with the, the reality that God exists. I don't surrender that. So I don't want to go to the point where I answer the fool in his folly, where he is standing, that there is no God. Rather, I'm going to begin from the point of view, God exists, God is, God loves you, let me show you that, and be able to, to witness from that point of view. The way that we do it, and one of the ways that we can accomplish that, is to provide the answer for the fool so he doesn't think he's wise in his own eyes. The fool would say, oh, it's, it's obvious there can be no God. Here's my list of reasons why there can be no God. From a presuppositional standpoint, if I stand on the reality that God exists, then I can show him that without God, all he's left with is absurdity. Because without God, you have no justification for morality. Yet, what makes right, what makes wrong? The, the majority rules? Is that how it works? If the majority rules, what right does anyone have to point to Nazi Germany and say that was wrong? Or it's wrong to exterminate life, or it's wrong to abort babies, or it's wrong to commit murder, or it's wrong to shoot kids in a school. If it's, if it's the person de- designs their own morality apart from the reality that there is a transcendent being who has delivered unto us through His Word absolute morality that we can stand on and say this is absolutely true and this is absolutely good and we can point to that. If I surrender that, then I'm answering Him in the same type of faulty argument that He has and I am like the fool myself. But if I do provide an answer standing in my worldview showing the absurdity of life without Christ, here's the reality. Does anyone live that way? Even some of the the true atheists that you talk to who would answer the question of morality saying there is none, which is the only real answer that they have. They can't say that there is any morality because there is no governing force for which to provide it other than society. So, So... whatever society says is right. And later on, whatever society says is wrong is wrong. And, and so they'll, they'll stand on that point, but the reality is they don't live life like that. That's not how we live. What, what happens in reality is the fool and the wise live in a universe governed by God. Every moment of every day governed by God. And you can see, according to Romans chapter 1, the reality of God in creation, every single day. And the Bible says everyone knows it. No one has to be, be shown it or proven that God exists because God has shown himself to them. Read Romans 1, verse 18 and on. God says, I have shown myself to them. What man needs to do is repent. What man needs to do is acknowledge the fact that his problem is the rebellion against the God who is. Not the doubt that there is a God who exists. So, 
We don't answer a fool according to his folly. We don't use the same argumentation. We stand on the truth of God's word. We stand on the truth of what God has said. Let God be true and every man what? If God is true, then I stand on the truth of God. I can say God is because God said he is. People say that's circular. And I say, you know, at the foundation of our belief, every argument is circular. Everyone. What are, you're going to say God doesn't exist because what? Because you say God doesn't exist. No, no less circular. It's not viciously circular because I'm standing on the foundation of truth, which is the word of God. And I'm not going to surrender that stance for the sake of a fool. There's a number of apologists out there who will make an argument with an atheist and say, I'm going to make you an argument that God exists and I'm not going to use the Bible and I'm not going to use anything from the Word of God. I'm going to use philosophy. I'm going to use logic. I'm going to use these things and I'm going to prove to you that God exists. And I think that's answering a fool according to his folly. I'm not going to grant your presupposition. I'm going to say my presupposition is God is. Because he has said he is. And he has shown us that he is. And we see that in his word. So when we come to this mirror of the fool, I want to I have an answer. I want to think about what that answer is going to look like because I want to be able to give uh, direction. I want to give answer. I want to give correction. Why? Because honor is a waste of time. That's what we're talking about. Honor doesn't do any good for the fool. What, does, what brings about reflection for the fool? Correction. Now, the fool may receive correction and never pay any attention to it, but that's the only thing, that rebuke, that correction, is the only thing that's going to bring about change in his life, not honoring him, not elevating him, not extolling him, but being willing to give uh, the answer that's necessary, correction that is fitting for the fool. Look at verse 6. As we continue in the body of this argument, he says, Now whoever sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. Like a lame man's legs which hang useless is a proverb in the mouth of fools. So what is it? What is meant by honor? Why is it unfitting? He's given us four examples in this entire section on the mirror of the fool. The first one was weather images, remember? Like snow in the summer, like rain in the harvest. Honor is not fitting for a fool. It's not helpful and it may be harmful. He's given us animal images, right? Like the sparrow flitting, the swallow doesn't have anywhere to land. Uh, the same concept, that correction, will bring about a better work. Then he gives us human images, two types. One, we see deformed, a deformed human image. What is that? Like the, uh, like the one who sends a message by the hand of a fool, uh, cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. Like lame man's legs which hang useless is a proverb in the mouth of the fool. The concept is still the same. If we're, if we're leaning towards honor and not correction, if we won't give an answer to the fool, but we want to stand in the same place as the fool, we want to move in a direction of honor rather than correction. Honor is always easier. It's always easier to, to give honor than it is to give rebuke. To say, I disagree. I don't agree with what you said and then discuss the reasons why. It's always easier. He's saying here, look, if you, if you follow that example and not this, if you don't have the desire to give the rebuke, you might as well cut off your own legs. What good is it? What good is a messenger? 
The messenger, the fool, giving the message and not giving correction is like you cutting off your own legs and drinking violence. You're not going to, it's not going to have the result that you want. And the second example, he says, is like a man who has lame legs, legs that don't work. If your legs don't work, you can't do anything with them. That's the same way a fool is with a proverb. He can't just take and glean. He needs to receive instruction. Someone that would take the time to give that instruction. Then in verse 9, he goes to the uh, human images of derangement. Like a, like a thorn <coughs> that goes up into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of fools. A drunk man is doesn't feel the same way. How many, t- how many stories have we heard of a guy who's been drunk in an accident because his body's so relaxed he comes out with barely any scratches, right? He hardly gets hurt. Or there was a number of times, at least in my youth in the Marine Corps, that I got in several fights and don't remember feeling a thing. So what good is a thorn in the hand of a drunk man? He can't feel it. It's not going to accomplish anything in his hand so is a proverb in the, in the mouth of a fool. Or like an archer who is shooting arrows in all the wrong people. You guys want him on your team? That don't seem like a good idea, right? I don't want to stand in front of him. So like an archer who wounds everyone is one who hires a passing fool or a drunkard. Each example that we've been given, I skipped verse 8, we're going to come to that right now. Each example that we've been given is an example of either giving correction, which brings about the proper response, or can, may bring about the proper response in a fool, or giving honor, giving him a job, giving him a proverb, trying to to hand him some wisdom that you could hand a wise man and he would take, but a fool will disregard. So the idea is... We want to do something, we want to find something, we want to see something that's going to accomplish its goal. One of the things we've talked about as we've gone through Proverbs is structure. And the structure of these 12 verses is a chiastic. If you remember when we talk about chiastics, chiastic is a literary uh, style that points, literally with the words, point to the the main point of the, the proverb. The pointing in this chiastic is to verse 8. Verse 8 is the central point of the proverb. So let's look at verse 8. The center of the chiastic is this. Like one who binds a stone in a sling is one who gives honor to a fool. If you, you guys have all seen examples of David's sling, right? Two straps come together, a little pouch in the middle, put a rock in it, sling it around your head, let go of one strap, the rock goes flying. Everybody with me? What happens if I can't get that rock to stay in the pouch? So when I put it in the pouch, I tie the sling so there's a knot on the rock. Now when I sling that thing around and let go, what happens? Well, the rock don't go out, does it? And the sling comes around and whacks me in the head. Doesn't seem like it's fulfilling its purpose very well, right? That is what is giving honor to a fool. We want to see the road signs and the, and the examples that Christ has given us, I think what he's calling us to is to be willing to have a conversation with a fool. Be willing to answer him in a godly way, not the same way that he is answering you. Being willing to give him a response, a reason for the hope that is in you, and in a spirit of meekness and fear, like the scripture calls us to, 
to be able to give a defense. Not to just give honor and make him go, let him go away, but to be willing to, to make a stand for the Lord. The mirror of the fool. When we look at the fool, can we see how it is or what it is that God would have us do in terms of correcting him? Flip it around in the mirror of the fool, how do you want someone to address you? Do you want someone to let you continue down the wrong road? If there are two paths in life, and one is destruction and one is life, and you're on the path of destruction, do you want someone to tell you? Would you want someone to say, hey, the road you're on doesn't go where you're trying to get? I went to Missouri to see the, the lures uh, several months back, and I, had to, I didn't have to, well, I did. I got off the freeway in Kansas City, I think. Which, downtown Kansas City is confusing to me. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's confusing. There's like 47 different... I drove in L.A. And Kansas City is the most confusing place I ever drove in my life. So, you get off in the middle of Kansas City, and everything's a one-way street, and you end up going in six miles in the wrong way before you can turn around to go back the other way, trying to find how in the world I get back on the freeway so I can get where I want to go. When you're in that kind of situation, it's awful nice to have somebody on the street corner holler at you and say, hey, freeway's right over there. Ah, thank you. Being willing to answer a fool. Give him direction. Can produce life. Now, if somebody just hollered at me and said, man, you're a good driver. Well, hallelujah. That's very helpful, right? Right? Correction is better than honor. To provide correction if correction is necessary. Now let's look at the conclusion of this chiastic. It's in verses 11 and 12. It says, Now like a dog that returns to his vomit is the fool who repeats his folly. We all would like to learn from our mistakes, wouldn't we? But like a dog returns to his vomit, it's a fool returns to his folly. If we don't, if, if correction doesn't come, we don't change. We don't turn toward wisdom, which is Christ. What are we going to continue to do? How many of us have experienced in our own life before Christ making the same mistakes over and over again? Uh, maybe choosing the same wrong kind of relationship over and over again. Maybe having, making poor choices in jobs or you, you name it. The, the different kinds of mistakes that we can make. Scripture says that wisdom is locked up in a relationship with Christ. I want to know Him and the treasures of wisdom and knowledge so that I don't return to my vomit. Because apart from Christ, I will. Apart from Christ, I'll go back to the old man. The, I, can, I, I will not be a new creation apart from being a new creation in Christ Jesus. I don't want to fall back on the old man. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool. You ever try to instruct somebody who already knows? You ever try to teach somebody how to do something that already knows how to do it? It doesn't work. It's like trying to fill a cup that's already full. You can't add anything else into it. So is a man who is wise in his own eyes. 
in his own, a legend in his own mind. We've all heard these concepts before, right? So we don't want to have, we don't want to see, we don't want to, we, we understand the struggle of a man who thinks he's wise in his own eyes. It's far better for a man who's, who is a fool because there's at least the chance if we provide correction that he learns and becomes wise. That he hears what you have to say and changes his direction. Then the next part we have, Proverbs 26, uh, 13 through 16, is the mirror of the sluggard. The mirror of the sluggard goes like this. The sluggard says there's a lion in the road, there's a lion in the streets. Part one of the sluggard, he suffers from irrational fear. He's, he gets himself freaked out about fears that don't exist, like a lion's out in the road. Can't go to work today. I can't get out. I can't leave the house. He struggles with irrational fear. It keeps him from going and being and doing the things he needs to do. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his own bed. What does that mean? Well, there's movement, but there's no progress. A door swings on its hinges to one side and then to the other. But it stays in the door jam and never goes one way or the other. So is a sluggard in his own bed. He may turn over from one side to the other side, but because of uh, his sluggardly ways, he doesn't leave, he doesn't go, he doesn't pursue. He finds himself caught. Now keep in mind, when we come to Proverbs, we talk about the two paths, way of life, way of death. You have multiple comparisons. Wise and fool, the diligent and the sluggard. Same concept, one being a path of destruction, the other being the path of life. So here, the sluggard, he's not making progress. He can't get out of his own bed. And then it goes on in verse 15. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, but it wears him out to bring it to his mouth. The idea is he's got a bowl full of food, but he only has enough energy to put his hand out and lay hold of the hot dog, but not enough to bring the hot dog to his mouth. The concept of the sluggard, the laziness of the sluggard who does not have the strength. Every activity wearies him, even feeding himself. This is the example Scripture gives of the sluggard. In verse 16, here's the problem. Here is the difficulty. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. The problem is, uh, I've actually tried to talk to men like this, and remember we talked about the idea, you ever try to teach somebody who already knows what's going on. They've already made up their mind. They already see or perceive their reality in a distorted way. And even if the seven sages were standing before them, the seven wisest men from the wisest council, they wouldn't be able to hear what they were saying because they have already found wisdom in their own eyes. Yeah, I just... I can't do anything. I have to stay here. So a lot of people that, that foot the bill or fit that bill today that <clears throat> find themselves stuck in a in a cycle of failure and our our government is kind enough oftentimes to declare them to be unfit for work and so they stay at home in bed. And they've got themselves convinced that this is the best 
life they can have. We probably all know people like that. And I'm not saying that their struggle isn't real. Their struggle is real. But one of the things we discover in a in this biblical system of welfare was that God provided for them a means up. A means in which man could still hold on to his honor. Man could still work. Uh, man could glean. He could go and get what he needed. He just had to get up and go do it. But even at the time of Solomon, and here these, these Proverbs that we're looking at are compiled by Hezekiah of, of Solomon's collection. And when we come to that, we, we recognize that even at that time, in a biblical uh, welfare system, which meant that you only made one pass through your field, and so the poor could get up and, and go. Just like here in Idaho, right? If somebody's done with potato harvest, what can you do? It's amazing how much potatoes you can get, right? Behind the potato harvester. All you have to do is be willing to make sure you got permission, it's all good, and grab a bucket and go, right? I've never had anybody tell me no yet. And we, we used to, during that time of harvest, have a guy that would come by and deliver literally 55-gallon buckets of potatoes that we'd give away on Sunday. You guys remember? You don't have to be hungry. But on, a, on a, any given week, there's a number of people who will come through the church who have found themselves in a cycle, what I would call the cycle of the sluggard. That we, we get ourselves into a, a cycle that says, I can't. I can't work. I can't get a job. I can't get out of my situation. And God's word would say, that's not the path of life. That's a path of destruction. The path of life would say, I can be diligent. There's something I can do. I don't know what it is, and maybe we can work that out. I'm, I'm not trying to lay down some kind of weird judgment on people who are struggling, but I am saying there's a way, there's a method through God's path of life that is a hand up, not a hand out. Does that make sense? That is a willingness to help a brother, to help a sister, help them stand, help them figure it out. In Israel... You could, never learn, you could never lose your property. At best, your property would be leased out, rented out, or, or out of your possession for 50 years, and then it came back. No matter what. So that Israel would retain uh, ownership of the land. Otherwise, you know, China could buy it all. Right? So, the concept is... We don't want to find ourselves in the path of a sluggard, the, the one who's trapped and can't move and can't work, can't get out, can't find a way out of the cycle that they're in. We want to walk the path of the diligent. The diligent is a path of life. The sluggard is the path of destruction. So when we look in the mirror, we want to recognize, if that's where I'm at, all the Word of God is calling me to is to repent, change my direction, look for the way out. Somebody has gone before us and can show us the way, can't they? All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hid where? In Christ Jesus our Lord. It says all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He can show us, he can help us, he can show us the way through. Next, the third section, final section here in, in Proverbs 26, is going to deal with four kinds of troublemakers. Four kinds of troublemakers. The first one's a busybody. Look at verse 17. 
Whoever meddles in a quarrel, not his own, is like the one who takes a passing dog by the ears. So a passing dog is not just like a little puppy walking by. We're talking about wild dog. A busybody or a meddler is somebody who sees this dog who's walking down the road and decides to make it his job to do something about that dog. So rather than just let the dog pass, he puts himself into the situation and grabs the dog by the ears. Now, I train a duck dog, and we did use his ears as part of his training, and I can promise you this, that's a great way to get bit. Dogs don't like their ears tugged. You reach out and grab a dog's ears, especially one you don't know that's not associated with you, who's just minding his business walking down the road, and you decide, I'm going to go grab him by the ears and, and fix this dog's wagon. That's what a busybody's like. A busybody who's putting themselves into other people's business, who's meddling in affairs that they ought not to meddle in. What does it mean? It means that there's a pretty good chance they will get themselves hurt. They'll get themselves hurt by their meddling. In other words, leave the passing dog alone. Don't meddle. Don't be a busybody interjecting yourself in other people's uh, in other people's business. And the concept, the meddler in a quarrel, carries about it the idea of of this person being a little bit hot headed. The person's a little bit hot headed. He's responding. In his own wrath, and the Bible says, the wrath of man, what? Will not accomplish the righteousness of God. That's not ever going to be the answer. So, the situation becomes worse. Leave the passing dog alone. This does not mean that if you see some violent act taking place, don't get involved. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a quarrel that doesn't involve you, and you throwing yourself into the midst of it. One of the things you discover is what at one time was two people mad at each other will become two people mad at you. So it's a great way to unite <laughs> the other two people in the quarrel. Next we have the mischief maker, 18 and 19. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. The idea is one who uses deception to cause havoc and then when havoc begins, he says, oh, I'm, I'm just having a little fun. I'm just taking a stick and poking it in the nest, the hornet's nest. To see what happens. The Bible says this is a mischief maker. It's one causing havoc, using deception, someone who is having fun at your expense. The idea, we don't want that. We don't want to be like the madman throwing firebrands, poking sticks, causing trouble just to cause trouble as though it's fun. It's fun for me to watch you get really mad. Anybody know people like that? Anybody is a person like that? Doesn't want to admit it right now? I'm a mischief maker. So growing up, I was never happy if my brothers were at peace. So they'd be sitting over there minding their own business, and I'll, I was going to cause some kind of trouble. Going to poke it, get it going, and then I'd sit over maybe on the other side of the car in the living room all quiet with a look on my face when my mom was like, what's going on? And my brothers are yelling and screaming, and I'm like, I don't know. 
But I was the mischief maker. It's not the way of, that's not the path of life. That's a path of destruction. Recognize what path we're on. Repent and get on the path that God would have us on. The third troublemaker, the slanderer. In verse 20, for lack of wood, the fire goes out. Where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. The idea of whispering, uh, gossiping, spreading lies. A slanderer is someone who uses their words to tear someone else down. Tell stories about, oh, you won't won't believe what I heard so-and-so did or such-and-such. They are perpetuating the fire. They are perpetuating the, the problem as they continue to, to bear their tails. As charcoal to hot members and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. The words of a whisperer like delicious morsels, and they will go down into the inner parts of the body. So what do we see? We see that the slanderer sustains strife. He keeps problems going. Maybe a problem would have been solved, but the slanderer, who wants to continue to gossip about it, perpetuates the burn, perpetuates the strife. In fact, he's not satisfied with perpetuating, so he will also inflame. Try to get those flames stoked back up again, causing those problems. And ultimately, here's the important part, if we'll play the part of the wood... It will change us too. If we'll pay, it says the 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 morsels of the whisperer are like are like delicious morsels, right? So we eat them, we take what they're saying, we give them a place to drop their slander, a place to drop their gossip, and we eat those morsels, and they go down into the innermost parts of our body, meaning they're affecting change in us. I'm being affected by listening to the words of the slanderer. So the warning, don't be a slanderer, and don't be one who listens. Be one who stops the fire. Where there is no wood, the fire does what? Goes out. If I won't receive the spark of the slanderer, if I don't receive the spark of gossip, then the fire will go out. So the Bible would hold both parties uh, as as guilty in the process. The words of the whisper will change the hearer. Where there is no wood, the fire will go out. The slanderer is spreading the fire. The one who listens is the wood. And then the fourth and final group in Proverbs 26 is the hateful enemy. Uh, the son constantly had this theme of a son listening to his father challenge him to walk the path of wisdom. And in this case, the son is going to be warned about his enemy, the hateful enemy. Like the glaze covering an earthen vessel are fervent lips with an evil heart. What they would do is they would heat up silver and they would skim off the dross of silver. And as they skim off the dross, they decided, you know, there's something good we can use this for. We can take pottery and we can use it to spread on the outside of the pottery, it, it, it gives it a luster, a shine. So you take this, this dross, this silver dross, which is, is, is relatively uh, valueless, and you rub it on this earthenware, and it gives the earthen pot, it gives the earthen vessel a glaze that makes it look more special. Now, in reality, it's not any stronger or, or worth any more money. 
It has no increase in value. It just looks nice on the outside. The idea is the same. An earthen vessel with its glaze is the same as fervent lips and an evil heart. Right? Faithful are the wounds of, the friend, of a friend, but deceitful are the lies of an enemy. The, the kisses of an enemy. The one who wants to flatter you, give you, give you positive things, but is not true. Does not care for you. Has an evil heart. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. If i got hatred in my heart, how do I hide it? By what I say. Oh, no, no, I don't, I don't have hate. I'm, I'm not prejudiced. I'm not struggling in this area. I try to use my lips, which are ultimately speaking deceit, to hide the evil that's in my heart. Now, what ought we to do? We ought to recognize I have evil in my heart and do what with it? Repent. Take it to the Lord. Seek His forgiveness. Seek His correction. Seek His direction. Get on the path of life. Not continue to walk with an evil heart, covering it up with the glaze of worn out (coughs) dross from silver. When He speaks graciously, believe Him not. For there are seven abominations in His heart. I should remind you of Proverbs 16. Six things the Lord hates, yea, seven, are an abomination. Seven things that God can't stand. What's he saying here? The evil heart has those seven abominations in it. Pride, lying, sowing discord among brethren. That the attitudes listed out for us in Proverbs 16. These are the things that mark an evil heart. The seven abomination so what this lays out for us is behind the attractive veneer the shiny outside of this person lies the deception of your enemy one who might seek your destruction it goes further to to lay out for his son this enemy who's seeking your destruction ultimately what he's trying to do will come upon him as well there's a reason for that If I'm walking the path of destruction and my goal on the path of destruction is to destroy the people around me, does it change my destination? Where am I going to arrive? I'm going to arrive at destruction. That's where that road goes. I may sow destruction all along the way. Are you guys with me? I sow destruction all along the way, but when I go off the edge of the cliff, I have reaped what? I sowed. I have seen those same things happen in my life. Look at 26. Though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. There will be a day. There will be a day when the hatred of your enemies will be visible to those in the assembly, to those who are gathered. Whether that's the assembly at the end of days or we look somewhere down the line in life and the assembly will be able to recognize your enemies by uh, that the lies will no, no, no longer cover their hatred or the evil heart, uh, but that it will be able to be exposed. And in verse 27, he says, Whoever digs a pit will fall into it. Whoever starts a stone rolling, that stone's going to roll back into him. That's exactly what we're talking about. If I walk the path of destruction, sowing destruction, where's my path lead? Destruction. The same pit I dug. It's the pit for me. 
The same things that I sowed will be the harvest that I reap at the conclusion of my journey. I don't want to stay on that path. I want to walk the path of life. A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruins. So, my son, beware of the hateful enemy, the one who wants to destroy you. Four uh, trouble types of troublemakers in life that we want to avoid. One, two, that we want to make sure when we look in the mirror, that's not what's looking back at me. That I want to recognize when I look in the mirror, do I see the reflection of the fool? Or am I a man following the Lord? When I look in the mirror, do I see the reflection of the sluggard? It's not a difficult process, and I need to repent, acknowledge that what I see in the mirror is wrong, and ask God to give me victory as I go throughout my life, moving forward with a desire to walk the path of wisdom, to walk the path of life. Amen? Why don't you guys stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word. We thank you for the instructions through Proverbs to recognize the path of wisdom. Lord, I pray that our eyes will be open, our ears will be unstopped, that we would be able to receive and understand the things that your word is directing us to. God, be glorified and magnified as we honestly, God, just look to honor you. That we hear the voice of our Savior saying, come follow me. And we recognize that the path that God calls us to is the path of wisdom. Help us recognize the things that we need to repent of, the things that we need to turn from, and help us be like the son listening to his father who wants to grant unto him wisdom. In all our getting, in all our pursuit, in all our journey, may we seek wisdom. And may we acknowledge that that wisdom exists in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your blessing and this opportunity to study tonight. May you be glorified as we go from here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.